Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. I need to know about faith. I need to know about hope and love and and, and about judgment. And, And so that's why this series is entitled Building on the Basics. Perhaps you've heard the acrostic for Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. I like that. It's certainly true. Getting the basics down is critical for most everything we do. It's certainly true for followers of Jesus. We need to learn the basics. My prayer for you is that you will grow in the application of the Word of God. If you have all this knowledge, but it never ends up in application for your life, then so what, right? That's my so what principle. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're pretty excited here at Cross Culture Church because today we're starting a brand new series entitled Building on the Basics. Over the next few months, Pastor Clay is going to take us through most of the books of the New Testament that are known as the general epistles. As you'll hear Pastor Clay explain, epistle is a word that simply means letter. They are called general because they weren't necessarily addressed to a specific church or person. These letters were intended for all followers of Jesus in general. Obviously, all of the Bible has instructions for all believers, but contained within these general letters are some of the basics of following Jesus. In the general letters, they were to be scattered out. They were to be read throughout the the known world to all believers and to help them in their walk with Christ. As you'll see as we start today into the book of James, uh, James focuses primarily on faith. First and second Peter, Peter focuses primarily on hope. John you could probably guess, love, and Jude, judgment. Through this series, we'll look at the basics of faith, hope, love, and judgment. They're important subjects that we all need to know about. That's why we're grateful you've joined us for this new series. Our prayer is that it will help us build on the basics of our relationship with God. Now here's Pastor Clay. starting a, a, a brand new series today. Are y'all excited? <laughs> really? You really are? All right, good. Uh, actually, we're starting a series of series uh, because what we're going to do is, is we're going to walk through a series of, of uh, books in the New Testament that are known as the, the general epistles. The New Testament known as the, sometimes referred to as the general epistles. Now, epistle is a word that simply means letter. It's a, a, epistle is a Greek transliteration, I'm sure. And it just means letter. So uh, these, these books, what we refer to as books oftentimes, uh, are, are, are the general letters. Okay? With me? You got it? All right. Now, there are eight general letters uh, if you include the book of Hebrews, which most people do, uh, but we are not going to include the book of Hebrews in our study. And the reason that we're not going to include it in our study is because of its length. Uh, the book of Hebrews is, is just, it needs to be a standalone series that, that we'll do uh, someday. Um, but the other remaining uh, general letters, general epistles are, they look like this, James, First Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. Those are what are referred to as the general epistles or the general letters, plus, uh, plus the letter or the book of Hebrews. 
They are, they are called general letters because, by and large, they were not specifically addressed to a specific church or a specific person. You understand? If, like, for instance, Paul wrote uh, a letter to the church in Corinth, wrote a couple letters to the church in Corinth, or to the church in Thessalonica, or to Timothy, uh, those letters were specifically addressed to a specific person or a specific church. The general letters are addressed to believers in general, thus the name general letters. Now, all the letters, all the books of the New Testament and the Old Testament, for that matter, they they have application for our lives. Uh, All of them do. Uh, But uh, but in in the general letters, they, they, they were, you know, to be scattered out, they were to be read throughout the, 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 the known world to all believers and to help them in their walk with Christ. And what you find in the general letters is that there, there are themes that come up uh, through the writers of those letters. Now, there are themes in all of the books and there's crossover, you know, in all the books you can find, you know, but as a general rule, as we walk through this series, what we'll find is kind of looks like this. Uh, and when, as, we, as you'll see as we start today into the book of James, uh, James focuses primarily on faith. First and second, Peter. Peter focuses primarily on hope. That sounded funny, didn't it? Hope. <laughs> um, John, you could probably guess, love. And Jude, judgment. Uh, so those are kind of four. And again, you'll, you'll, you'll find, you know, Peter will speak about judgment and, and love. And those, but I'm, I'm saying as a general rule, you'll find those overarching faith, hope, love, and judgment. Uh, kind of four themes. And uh, as I was working on this series, I was beginning to prayerfully consider where we were going next. Um, I just kind of thought, you know, these are, this is really kind of the basics of, of growing up in Christ Jesus. These are some of the foundational elements that I need to know. I need to know about faith. I need to know about hope and love and, and, and about judgment. And, and so that's why this series is entitled uh, Building on the Basics. That's what we're going to do over the next however long it takes to work through each of these books. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, I'm on no particular time schedule for that. Um, if, if that aggravate you. I'm sorry, but I just kind of worked through it. Uh, I've said this, I've said this before, but we, we have guests all the time. But the reason that I uh, like to work through books of the Bible in my series generally in, in, instead of topical series, um, the reason I, I like to do that is for one thing, the, the topics that you want to talk about uh, and don't want to talk about for that matter, uh, those topics will come up sooner or later. If you're working your way through the word of God, if you're working way through a book, uh, those topics will uh, come up. But, but secondly, and more importantly, um, I, I'm responsible to, to give you the word of God. That's my responsibility as, as, the, as the chief under shepherd of this flock, to, as, the, as the lead teaching pastor. Uh, my responsibility is to teach you the word of God. So my prayer for you in this series, and quite frankly, this is my prayer for you, whether you know it or not, this is my prayer for you in every series that we do. My prayer for you is that number one, you will grow in the knowledge of the word of God. In other words, as a result of this series, that when we finish, in other words, when we get through the book of James, you'll know more about the book of James than you knew when we started, my, my prayer is that you will grow in the knowledge of the word of God. Second, my prayer is that you will grow in the knowledge of the power of the word of God. In other words, as you see this power 
in, in, in these accounts and in these stories that we read, and as you begin to experience it in your life, that you'll begin to get a, a, a fresh grasp of, man, there's, there's power in this book. Third, uh, my prayer is that you will grow in the knowledge of the value of the word of God, that that would just naturally spring out of, as you realize the, as you learn the book more, and as you realize the power of this book, that you'll begin to realize how precious, how special, how valuable this book is. And listen, some of me, some, some of me, <laughs> I'm really out of it today. Me and some of you have been places in the world where, where men and women would die to have one page out of this thing. And they sit around for hours and share one page back and forth. We have no idea how blessed we are. And, oh, and by the way, Jesus said, unto whom much is given, much is required. I just thought I'd throw that out there. And, and fourth, my prayer for you is that you will grow in the application of the word of God. That, that's really what it all comes down to. Because, because if, you, if you have all the knowledge in the world about, oh yeah, James, I know who he was, know who wrote it, know when it was written, know who he was writing to. I, I know he said this. And that, that. If you have all this knowledge, but it never ends up in application for your life, then so what, right? That's my so what principle. So what does any of it mean? So that's my prayer for you as the body here at Cross Culture Church. Uh, and I pray that for you all the time, that God's word will have its effect. Okay, okay, Clay, enough. We're in James. Open your Bibles to James. If you have a copy, electronic, hard copy, uh, text is going to be up on the screen also as it is each week. Um, and, uh, and we're grateful for that. James chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 1 through verse 12 this morning. We're not going to get that far, but we're going to read James chapter 1, 1 through 12. Building on the basics, the basics for James is about what? Faith, faith, faith. Watch. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Uh, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must not ask But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. That's a strange saying, isn't it? And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and, the, and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. And so too, the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You pray with me uh, this morning, Father. uh, Again, I'm really so grateful that these people are here. And uh, 
I pray in the days and weeks and months and years ahead that we would be able to see more and more people come and, and sit under your word, that they would discover a greater knowledge of your word and the power of your word and the value of your word and the application of your word for their lives. There's a lot of stuff I do not know, Father God, but I know that this book is the key to the life that you intend for us. And so as we embark in this new series and uh, today, particularly in the book of James, I just ask that our hearts and minds, spirits would be open uh, to what uh, you would say to us. Uh, my physical voice uh, is, uh, is failing me, Father God, but I'm so grateful that your spirit uh, can work in and through me uh, to accomplish your purposes. So for every person in this room, in whatever circumstance they find themselves today, and we've got something to say about that, Father, may you speak to our hearts, and may we uh, be better followers of Jesus as a result. In his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Okay, uh, let's, let's, start with this. let's start with this idea this morning. Faith has a position. It's servant. Verse 1, again, James Says, James starts is how he starts his letter. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's significance in this once you listen to me. <clears throat> there were two uh, of the original 12 disciples, there were two of those original 12 disciples who were named James. <clears throat> there was James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee. Or, as they were also referred to, the Sons of Thunder. Don't you love that? How cool a name is that? How cool a nickname is that? It sounds like, sound like a couple guys on uh, Monday Night Raw or something. You know, WWF. You know, and in this corner, hailing from the region of Galilee, the Sons of Thunder. Isn't that, that's awesome, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? That was bad. I should not have done that. <clears throat> But what a, what a cool name. The other James was James, the son of Alphaeus. Not nearly as cool a name. But one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. That's pretty cool. But it is generally agreed that neither of those James wrote the book of James. It is generally agreed that the book of James was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now think about the significance of this. I'm just saying, if I was the half brother, and I know spiritually speaking, I am his brother, but you know what I'm saying? But if, if I was physically the half brother of Jesus, I might be tempted to start my letter, James, the half brother of Jesus. You, you know what I'm saying? Remember, uh, uh, Mary and Joseph did not conceive uh, Jesus. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. But Mary and Joseph did conceive and have other children. Um, uh, Matthew chapter 15, Mark chapter 6, both uh, confirm that without question, that Mary and Joseph had other children. They, ha- they had sons and they had daughters. That would make them the half-brothers and sisters of Jesus. They had the same mother, but not the same father. 1 Corinthians fifteen seven tells us that Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to James. To his half-brother appeared to him. Now, maybe that's the moment that James became 
a follower of Jesus? I don't know. What I do know is that James became a follower of Jesus. He committed his life to this idea of following uh, Jesus. It was, it, was, it was his life. It's what it, it all became of him. Early church tradition says that uh, James uh, spent so much time on his knees in prayer that his knees became as calloused as those of a camel. And so he received the nickname Camel Knees. Again, not as cool as Sons of Thunder, but being known for your prayer life wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? The Apostle Paul took James's advice as a leader, in the, as he became a leader in the church. The Apostle Paul, okay, took James' advice in Acts chapter 21. You and I, I'm just going to tell you, and I know you probably can't be here every week, but you and I would do well as we work our way through this book to take James' counsel and hear what he has to say. His letter is addressed to the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning uh, the, the 12 Jewish tribes, the 12 tribes, 12 tribes of Israel, uh, not, which is another way of saying the Jewish people. James was Jewish. He had a love for the Jewish people. But clearly, his letter is addressed to people that are believers in Jesus Christ. So he's writing to the, uh, the, the Jewish believers who, who were dispersed. They'd, they'd been dispersed throughout the known world uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years. They'd been dispersed. They, some of them came back, and it's a long story. But, but there were Jews living all over the known world. And James has a heart for them, and he writes them. He's writing to the believers out there. And, and the first thing James says, the first thing he introduces himself is by saying, James, a bond servant of Christ Jesus. And there it is. There's the, there's the first clue. There's the, there's the first indicator of what it takes to walk by faith. You and I, look at me, you and I have to consider ourselves bond servants, slaves to God. I know it's a strong word, but that's how we have it. Now, now listen to me. Don't tune me out. I, I truly believe this. God does not see us that way. Do you understand? Before we come to Christ, God sees us, as Jesus says, as, as sheep without a shepherd. God sees us as sinners in need of a savior. God sees us as people that he loves so much, guys, that he was willing to die for you. After we come to Christ, <laughs> after we come to Christ, do you know that Jesus refers to us as friends, as his friends, John fifteen fifteen. But it gets better than that, right? It gets better than that. When we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, God sees us as part of his family. His family. Romans chapter 8. Look at this. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him, say it, Abba. Father, some of you know that that Abba is an Aramaic term. It's a term of endearment. It's the equivalent of our daddy. Now we call him daddy, father. Galatians uh, chapter four. Uh, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So he could redeem those who were under the law. That's us. We're under the penalty of of the law because we'd sin. Why? Why? That we might receive the adoption as sons. That we might become part of the family of God. God sees us as part of his family. (coughs) Sorry. And listen, 
That, that's an important thing, right? I, I am so grateful that God made it possible for me to be part of his family. Aren't you? I'm so grateful that God, and it's important for me to see myself as a child of God. It's important for me. It's important for you to see yourself as a child of God. Because listen to me, no matter how anybody else sees you, no matter what other people think about you or say about you, no matter the mistakes you've made or the things that you wish you could redo or undo, God loves you and he sees you as his child. You're a child of the king. And that, that is positionally accurate to say that and to think that. But watch this. But practically speaking, in the everyday life, if I'm going to walk this walk of faith that we're going to talk a lot about in the next few weeks. If I'm going to walk this walk of faith, I need to see myself, myself as James saw himself. I need to see myself. Yes, I'm a child of the king, but I am a servant of the living God. It's about In other words, it's not about me. Oh my God. I was thinking about this when I was writing the sermon. I was thinking, that is so incredibly hard to do in the day and age in which we live. Isn't it? Isn't it? To, to, To live by this, it's not about me. That is so incredibly hard because in the culture and the age in which we live, everything around us is screaming, it's all about me. Isn't it? It's my rights. It's my life. It's what I deserve. It's what I want. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's me. And James comes along. He says, it's not about me at all. The author, uh, Thomas Wolfe, uh, <clears throat> coined a phrase uh, in the 1970s. He, he referred to it as the me generation. <clears throat> the me generation. Uh, because of the, the, the self-absorption uh, of the culture. Uh, and the time in which he, he coined that phrase. And listen. <laughs> the tastes of the 1970s sure might be called into question. <clears throat> with bell bottoms and leisure suits. And platform shoes. Right? The, the, the sanity of the 1970s might be called into question with, with streaking. Y'all remember that? Pet rocks. Water beds. Have y'all ever laid on them things? And, and it was. It, it, was a me, it was a me generation. But I'm telling you, the, night, the 70s pales in comparison to the self-absorption, self-love of the culture and generation in which we live today. I'm telling you, it absolutely does. And so here comes James opening his book by saying, I'm a bondservant of the living God. It's not about me at all. It's about God. It's about his, his wishes and his will. It's about what he wants to do in and through me and where he wants to take me. Regardless of anything else, it's about God. And the culture in which we live says that it's all about me. Now listen to me. I know this sounds crazy. I know this sounds crazy. But I'm telling you, it is absolutely true. That that idea of considering myself a bond servant of the living God, living that way, God, your wishes, your wills, God, what do you want to do with me today? Where do you want to take me? What do you want to accomplish through me? That, that truly is the key to the Christ-like life. That truly is the key to a life filled with joy and contentment and fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning and purpose and all the other things that, hey, right? Everybody's looking for in life. 
Everybody wants that. Everybody wants a, 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 a content, fulfilling, pleasing life, right? I think. And the world, the, the world says, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. What I want, what I want to do, where I want to go, who I want to do, who I want, all this stuff, that's, that's what will make me happy. That's what will that's bring me pleasure. That's what will please me. And God's word is so clear that that is nothing but a path to, to dissatisfaction with life in general. And I, and I, could, I could give you a hundred names of people that I've known that have self-destructed on, on that philosophy. Me. No, it's not about me at all. And this doesn't make any sense, but look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9. So if you try to hang on to your life, you will, say that word, lose it. You'll lose it. You try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will, say it, save it. That doesn't make any sense from a naturalistic standpoint. No, I'll get on top by... By me getting what I want, doing what I want. It's not what Jesus says. Um, <clears throat> Galatians chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ. That's what Paul says. I've, I've, I, physically, I know I'm still alive, he says. But, but I, I've, I've died. When I came to Christ, I considered myself crucified with him. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's faith walking. That's the idea of understanding that I don't, it's not, I, I don't exist anymore. It's not about me. Listen, I know I've got to move on. What time is it? Okay. Um, I, I know this is hard. Again, number one, our culture's saying it's, it's all about you. Have what you want. Do what you want. Your rights, your privileges, all that kind of stuff. And I know our flesh, or at least my flesh, naturally wants to go in that direction, right? We, I, but, it, but if you grab a hold of this idea, if you begin to, 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 to really just start with this concept that, that, yes, I'm a child of the king. I'm so grateful that I've been adopted in the family of God. And I know there's rights and privileges that go with that as a child of the king. But, but each day, I'm going to live my life as if I'm a servant of the living God. Whatever he wants, wherever he wants to go, whatever he wants to do with me, that's going to be the priority of my life. Faith has a position. And it's servant. Second, this morning, faith has a process. It's, say it, say it, trials, trials. Let me read verse 2 through 4 again. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Faith has a process, and it is trials. <laughs> you know, what my first reaction was when I when I wrote that. I wrote that scene. Now, my first in my mind, my first reaction was, "Oh man, <laughs> oh man, does it have to be that way?" Joel Osteen says it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> I'm sorry. But listen, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, the guy, I, I, I know, I, Clay, 
I'm just telling you, you can go with Joel or you can go with James, but I don't think you can go with both. Because Joel says that God wants your best life now. And he interpret that, interprets that to mean a life free of suffering, free of pain, free of want. And James says that God wants to put you into trials, into pain, into suffering, so that you can experience him at a level that you've never experienced him before in your life. And those two positions are diametrically opposed. Faith has a process, and it is trials. You and I have them. We will go through them. And by the way, that's a fact of life, right? Everybody goes through trials. Nobody, nobody gets to free get out of jail card and collect two hundred dollars every time. No, nobody. Gets, everybody goes through trials. Followers of Jesus and people that don't follow Jesus, young people, old people, wealthy people, not wealthy people. Everybody. It goes through trials. It's just a fact of, of life. But number two, and I know sometimes it's hard to accept, but God actually loves us enough to bring trials into our life. Because James says that is the process through which you mature, you grow up in Christ Jesus, and you learn about this relationship with Christ and who he is and, and what he wants to do in your life. But I... I as far as I know, based on the word of God and even my own personal experience, that just simply doesn't happen without trials and tribulation in your life. So we have to begin to think about trials and tribulation as actually something that's going to benefit us. Listen, he says, he says, consider it all joy. I don't know of anybody that... that enjoys a trial. And listen, I will, I will confess to you that Joel's way sounds better to me because I don't know of anybody that actually likes trials. I don't know anybody that's, that's hey, put me down for six trials this week. I don't, I don't know anybody that, that's, that's doing that. So I, I confess that Joel's way sounds better, but I profess that God's way ultimately is better. And God says that you've got to go through trials. You've got to go through circumstances. You've got to go through pain and suffering at times in your life. If you're going to draw near me, if you're going to know me in the way that I want you to know me. Because listen, listen, whether you, whether you understand this fully or not, whether you believe this fully or not, what's wrong? behind me, Satan. So, okay. Would y'all just tell me next time? I'm like, I'm like talking and they're, they're freaking out more and more. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure my zipper's up. What's going on? And they're freaking out more and more. So, and, and if, if, if y'all, any of y'all don't know me, I hate spiders. <clears throat> it's the small ones that always get you. All right. Where was I? I trials. Try listen. <clears throat> that wasn't really a trial. That was a funny. Uh, anyway, 
we know the stuff we're going to have to go through in life. But what I could say was, whether, whether we fully understand it, and I don't think we always do, whether we fully understand it, whether Richard Dawkins or any other atheist for that matter believes it, I believe God's word teaches that you and I were created for a relationship with the living God. To know him intimately and personally. Not some surfacey, go to church on Sunday, sing the songs and go out and say, where do you want to eat this Sunday? And go back to our normal lives. No, God desires to be intimately engaged in your life. And so, no, trials are not enjoyable. And I think there's no expectation on God's part that we would enjoy trials. But I do believe that there's an expectation on God's part that we would, with joy, look forward to how our relationship with God will mature and grow as a result of this trial going through right now in my life. And I got a verse of scripture, uh, Tyler, that I wanted to give him. Um, Yeah, do I have something else? I'm just drawing a blank right now. That spider's freaked me out. Okay, let's, let's, no, no. Uh, Okay, is that next? Okay. All right. What is the process for dealing with our trials? So as I was thinking about that, I was saying, okay, uh, James kind of lays it out there, whether you realize or not, but there's a process uh, and, and, and a result that's coming from uh, these trials. So let's look at it. First one is this, a positive mindset, <clears throat> a positive mindset. Uh, again, that was in uh, verse two, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. What is that? That's just a positive mindset. The circumstance hasn't changed. It, it's, it may be, you know, traumatic. It may be minor. It may be, but that hasn't changed, but you consider it joy. Now, again, not the trial, Not the circumstance, but the prospect of what this trial or circumstance will do for me in my relationship with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you need a positive mindset. So when trials come your way, as you recognize them in your life, as you see this coming into your life, you have to take, you have to make this conscious decision to say, God God has a plan in this. God's going to work through this. God, God knows what he's doing in this. And, and maybe, and it's just an example, something I wrote down, but maybe it'd be a prayer that might look something like this. <clears throat> Father, I know that you know about what is going on in my life. He does, by the way. You sometimes don't think that, but he knows. I'm thankful that you're never caught off guard by what comes into my life. And this difficulty is passing through your permissive will, and it is. And so I know that you will walk with me through this positive mindset. And give me what I need to come through on the other side. You know that this trial is not pleasurable. But by faith, Father, I choose to believe that it is profitable. Your word tells me that no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So, Father, I choose by faith to believe you and not my circumstances. I thank you for how this trial will bring me into a closer relationship with you. Now, listen to me. I am not saying that all my prayers sound like that. Okay? I'm not saying that all my prayers have sounded like that. They certainly have. But do your prayers sound like that when you're in the middle of trial? Or maybe do they look maybe a little more like this? God, please take this away. God, please get this off me. God, why won't you do something? God, how long am I going to have to go through this? God, I hate this. God, where are you? <laughs> Which one of those prayers sounds more like your prayers in the middle of a trial? You have to decide for yourself. 
But one of those is a faith prayer. One of them is not. And it doesn't take a PhD to figure out which one, probably. She had a a positive mindset. No, God, I'm not going to choose to believe my circumstance. I know it's real. I know I'm going through it. But you know that too. And God, if you've allowed it to pass through your permissive will, then God, you have a purpose in it that's greater than anything I can understand at this point. By faith. By faith. By faith. I choose to believe you. A positive mindset. Second step in the process, a positive product. Again, look what James says this time in verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces, say it, endurance. The testing of your faith, these trials that you're going through are producing in you endurance. It's a positive product. Endurance is being produced in your life as a result of the trials that you are going through. Now, why, why would God want to build up my endurance? Wait for it. Because more trials are coming. More stuff is coming, right? I mean, it, 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 it just is. There's a, it, Max Licato, in his book on the anvil, uh, someplace there in the book, he makes this statement. He said, God may allow you to go through a storm today in order to prepare you for a hurricane coming in your life tomorrow. And you see, and God knows, because God knows everything, God knows what's coming in your life. And so what he's taking you through today, although it, it may be painful and it may be horrific, it may be aggravating, it may be lots of different things depending on, on what it is. I'm not diminishing the, the, the pain that people feel in the middle of a trial. I, I'm just saying that, that, that there's, there's a process there and part of that process is God's trying to build up your, your endurance so that you're ready for what comes your way. It's a positive product. You know what I've found? I've found that a lot of people... <clears throat> Let trials produce only negatives in their life. People get, they get down. They get mad at the world. They get mad at God and anybody tries to speak for God. They get angry. They get bitter. They get jealous because somebody else's life doesn't seem to be having all the stuff that they're going through. Right? Can anybody identify in here? Only negatives being produced out of the trial. And God wants to produce something positive. Because you're going through the trial. I'm sorry. But, you know, when, it kind of, when you get to a place, you're like, woe is me. Look at all I'm having to go through. Look what I'm enduring. Nobody else has to go through this in the whole world. Why me? Listen, I know I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm supposed to have mercy and compassion. But I'm just telling you, sometimes I just, I just want to pull an alley on them. I just want to say, hey, would you like a little cheese with that wine? are going to come in your life and you can either let God produce something positive endurance in your life or you can let it turn you bitter or angry or resentful or any of the other negative things that will naturally try and spring out of there and then, and then one more part of the process <clears throat> a positive result it's a positive product but it's, it's leading towards a, a positive result and the result in verse 4 The trials build endurance. 
See this natural progression? He just walks through it and let endurance, this thing that he's been building up in you through the trials, and let endurance have its, watch this, perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in, say it, nothing. Perfect, by the way, here uh, doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't necessarily mean in that, in that way. It means perfect in the sense of complete. In other words, the, the person that, that uh, James is describing here is not a perfect person and they don't have a perfect life because trials still go on. He hasn't reached, you know, that place of perfection and, and now it's, and it's all good all the time and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, he's not talking about that person. He's talking about a person that, here it is, you know what it is? You know he's describing? Faith walker. Faith walker. Somebody that has need of nothing. Wow, I want to be that guy. To be able to say good times, bad times, hard times. I'm in need of nothing but you, God. If I have you, I have all I need. That's what trials are designed to do. Uh, Cindy and I, uh, earlier this week, were invited to a a pre-screening of the film 90 Minutes in Heaven that uh, comes out September 11th. I encourage you to go see it. If you've never read the book, 90 Minutes in Heaven is the story of, of Don Piper. Don Piper was a pastor in Texas who was involved in a terrible automobile accident in 1989. And I, I, don't, I try not to give too much of the, the film away, but, uh, but Don Piper was pronounced dead at the scene and was dead, pronounced dead at the scene for 90 minutes. And, and the, the book and, the, and now the movie is about what transpires as a result of that. And as we're watching the film, and it really sticks very close to the book, as we're watching the film, uh, they couldn't do it quite in as much detail as the book, as you could imagine. But, uh, but Don's wife, she gets the call that, um, that he's been in this automobile accident. And she's, and she's frantically rushing to the hospital, which gets to the hospital, and, and they won't let her, see, let her see him. And she doesn't know what's going on and how critical he is. And, and, and through, then through the days in the hospital and the pain and the suffering and, the, and, the, and the, all the stuff that, he goes through during that part of the film. I, I noticed, I could see in the corner of my eye that Cindy was Cindy was crying, <clears throat> that she was very emotional and very tearful. And so we were talking about it after the film, and uh, she was telling me that, that it brought back so many memories about my accident. Not that my accident was nearly as severe as Don Piper's, but that uncertainty driving to the hospital after all she knew was that I'd been in an accident and not, not letting them see me, and and then the days of. Uh, of pain and, and all that. So listen, I, I can remember one night lying in bed and I, 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 was, I was in so much pain in the hospital. This was third, fourth day, I don't remember. I was in so much pain in the hospital. It was late at night and, and all I could do, I, I, just, I, I just started singing. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. I just started singing this song, and I, and I remember tears were just running down my face from the pain. I wasn't trying to cry, but it was just, just that much pain. And Cindy came over, and she just held my hand, and she was singing along with me. And, and after the movie, we were talking about this, the, the, everything she saw. And, and she reminded me that, that when she got that call and when she went there and in the days in the hospital, she said all she could do, all she could say was, God, help me. 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 That is where God is trying to get us to this place of utter and complete and total dependence on him. 
that, that, that we, all we can say is, God, help me. And you know what? When we can say that, it's enough. Because it's, it, it's about this relationship that I have with him. That's what trials will do. Oh, they are not fun. But they are profitable. And they will put you on the path to faith walking. And when you walk on the path of faith, once you experience it, and I know some of you do, and you know, but once you experience it, you will settle for nothing less in your life. Well, obviously, we've just begun to scratch the surface on the subject of faith, and already we can see the importance and value of studying the basics about faith. As Pastor Clay shared today from the book of James, trials are never fun, but they can be beneficial as they grow our faith. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross-Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross-Culture Church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to leave Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.